You are listening to a podcast from Influence Church. We hope it encourages and empowers you to make a difference in your world for the kingdom of God. For any more information, visit our website, influencechurch.co.uk. Enjoy the message. So good. Actually, let's not take a seat. Let's stand. We're going to pray. Sorry, tricked you. It's all a bit of a workout, so you can stay warm for the message. Let's just pray before we open the Word of God today. God, we just thank you that your Word is alive and active. Your Word has power to transform lives. And God, we just pray, Holy Spirit, right now, come and wake us up. Awaken our spirits to hear a fresh Word from you today, God. God, we don't want my words. We want your words to people's hearts. And Lord, we thank you that you have the power for those who are listening right now to, to take the words that are spoken and make them articulate different things to different people, God. We just pray each one of us leaves here more full of you, less of ourselves, of our stuff are more full of your Holy Spirit. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Take your seats. Amazing. So today's message can be slightly different. Can we cope with different? Uh, good. Okay. Um, so it's almost, Christmas is done. Um, kind of Boxing Day, I took down the tree. I was like, enough of this now. Um, I want my house back. And uh, I wasn't very well. And I was like, this is enough. And we had pine needles. I'm still hoovering up days later, weeks later. Uh, and it also means the end of Christmas means it's almost my birthday. And uh, it's my birthday soon. And I'm going to be 42, which is old, but not too bad because I thought it was 42 for the first six months of last year anyway. So I feel like I gained some time. I preached a while ago in Barney saying that I was 42. And my mum heckled me. And she was like, you're already not 42 yet. So I was like, oh, yeah, I forgot. Um, when you get old, the numbers kind of go into one. Um, but most of the thing about being older is better. I quite like it. Those who have not reached it yet, it gets better. Apart from your body, things happen now that didn't used to happen. Um, like I got up the other day from, I sat on the floor in Penrith kind of, reaching through something in my bag and stood up on my knees cracked to quite a dramatic amount. And I was like, oh, that's new. <laughs> Uh, and my eyes are not quite what they used to be. Uh, so uh, a few people are shaking their heads like, we, we, we hear you. Um, so I don't really like driving very much, which is a, a problem when we have churches all over the place. Um, but a while ago, for some bizarre reason, Ben was in the car with me and I was driving, which is very rare because that's just not the dynamic of our marriage. Um, and so he was driving, uh, I was driving, uh, and he said to me as I was driving, I think I might know what part of the problem is with why you don't like it. You're squinting as you're driving, you're driving like this. And he was like, maybe you need your eyes testing. Now, I had them tested about 10 years ago, needed glasses. Then they stopped, hurt, the, the glasses started to hurt my eyes, so I assumed I'd been healed and no longer needed them, so I discarded them. Uh, apparently, that's bad theology. So I went to the optician. <laughs> and did the eye test and failed dramatically, and I don't like failing. Um, and the, the optician was like, you don't drive without glasses, do you? And I was like, I do, yes. <laughs> but my words to her were, but I've never hit anything. And her, and her honest reply was, I'm not sure you'd know because you can't see. And I was like, oh, it's time. So, and here's the thing, when the glasses arrived, I mean, no, I don't look good in glasses. It's not something many of you are ever going to see because I need them for, glass, for, for driving all the cinema, um, apparently. Um, so, you know, I put them on and I suddenly could see signs again. <laughs> Who knows? There's words on the way to Penrith. 
And I'm like, oh, driving's not so bad when you can see the road. This is okay. Um, and suddenly my perspective had changed. I could see in a whole new different way. And I want to talk today about this, this series of greater. I want to talk about having a greater perspective. Perspective is the way you see things. If you're under 25, it's POV or I'm told POV. They may have lied to me. Is that a thing, Elevate? Do people say POV or just POV? Um, there's no answer. Wake up, Elevate. Still hungover from the Friday night of excitement, Elevate. Um, so, uh, so, so point of view is the way that you see things. And it's, it's key to anything that we do. And we all have points of view. Things happen and we have a way that we see it. But God said in Isaiah 43, verse 19, he says, see, I am doing a new thing. It springs up. Do you not perceive it? I'm making a way in the wilderness, the streams in the wasteland. And God's speaking to his people at this point, not when things are hunky-dory, not when everything's really easy and kind of plain sailing and just easy going. Everyone's happy. Everyone's in the right place at the right time. Everyone's got money. Everything's good. Every la, 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 la. He's speaking to them when they're in captivity in Babylon. Things are difficult. They are hard done to. They're exhausted. They're worn down. There's no hope. And God is saying, hey, look. All you can see is wasteland, but look again, because in the wasteland, there's new streams happening. Look again in the desert that you've discounted, because I'm making a way in the wilderness. You might think there's nothing happening, but look again, I am moving. Look, you're going to miss it if you're not careful. Look, see that I'm doing things. And some of you today are looking at things right now, maybe your own kids, maybe your jobs, maybe your circumstances, maybe your mental health, or your physical health, and you're looking and you're thinking, I can see no way forward. And I want to encourage you today that we need to look again with a greater perspective and see that he is making a way forward. There are things happening. Change is happening. So this whole idea of point of view, I feel like in the last few years, it's become a bigger deal. Everyone has a point of view on everything. Even the news has changed in the last few years. I am old now, so I can say these things. But back in my day, the news was 6 p.m. Sir Trevor MacDonald would come on our TVs wasn't quite in black and white, it was colour, but we just had like the curved screens, the olden days things. And we'd sit and watch Sir Trevor, and he would tell us things that happened, and we would believe him because he's Trevor McDonald. He would tell us about Beckham and Giggs who'd scored a goal, and we'd think, okay, they've scored a goal. Uh, and he would tell us the pound is doing well, and my dad would nod, and I'd like, okay, that must be a good thing, we nod. He'd tell us about what's happened with the royal family, and we'd think, okay, this is a fact, we're hearing this. He would tell us about this thing's happened, or that thing's and we'd, we'd just listen to it, maybe discuss it for two minutes, and then go on with our lives. Now, the news is different. For a start, I don't need to watch TV, because my mum's auntie's barber's dog's friend tells me on Facebook... She tells me what she thinks of Prince Harry and Meghan. I don't need to look at the news because it's on my Facebook all the time. I don't need to kind of think about what I think because everyone in the world is telling me their point of view. And even when it comes to the news, when I was preparing this, I looked on the news app, uh, the Sky News app, to see kind of what the news was saying that day. Top story last Saturday was this. Rishi is talking to the NHS. So I read this story. It was a fairly accurate story, I assume, of what happened. The first part, they were saying what Rishi said to NHS trust people or whatever it was. And then the, the second 60% was people's opinions on what he'd said. That was the news, top news. Second story, this is the headline. Prince Harry's behavior could be a sign of PTSD. That was the second news item last Saturday. Could be a sign. Third item was about a man who'd been arrested for kidnapping. That was all factual, not very nice. And the fourth thing was this. 
There's been a drop in stale cell donors, which may make some illnesses harder to treat. So out of four top news stories, two were guesses. Someone has an opinion. The top news story, most of it was more about what people thought of what Rishi said rather than what he said. And one out of four was actual fact. The news seems to have changed in the last few years to rather than facts, but people's point of view. And then you're encouraged to interact with the news, send a tweet, send a text, send a WhatsApp, and then you hear about what Bob from Doncaster thinks about the news. And you're like, I don't know, Bob, I don't really care what you think about this, but now I know, so thank you for filling that part of my brain with your thoughts on what Prince William has said and what Prince Harry has done. And we're just bombarded by it all the time. And young people and children are taught in a different way than what they used to be taught in terms of they're taught to analyze everything and think about what they think about this thing. Now, some of that is very true and very good. And we want young people to grow up, not to just take on what's been told to them. We want them to understand that they should question why girls are not paid the same as boys. We want them to question race and how there's inequality. We want them to question where do your clothes come from? And is that okay that it's made like that? We want them to learn those things. But if we're not careful, suddenly truth goes out the window. And what happens is everything is questionable. Nothing is foundational anymore. And really, the only gospel, if you like, is my own point of view and how I feel about these things. Because my truth is the truth. And actually, I want to encourage you today that this is the truth. That in terms of point of view, when you look at anything, this, if we call ourselves Christians, needs to be our point of view. This doesn't change. This is as relevant today as it was 2,000 years ago. This needs to be our authority, not our feelings, not other people's opinions, not Bob from Doncaster. Your point of view needs to come from the Bible. Because the problem with our feelings is they're rubbish. And they change every five minutes. Well, mine do. They change depending on how much caffeine I've had, how much sleep I've had, what someone said to me, how I feel my hair's gone that morning, what my hormones are saying, how much kind of um, energy I've got that morning. And they go up and down and up and down. And if our point of view is affected constantly by how we treat people, how we interact with our kids, how we feel about the word of God, how we feel about church, if it's, in, if it's changed all the time by how we feel, we live this kind of bizarre roller coaster of a life. Have you ever had shampoo in your eye? Put your hand up, let's see. Okay, can I just say, I did this in Penrith last week. Three people said yes. Either they're really good at washing their hair or they don't wash their hair in Penrith. <laughs> just saying, look at their campus pastor. Um, oh, come on, he deserves it. He said worse about everybody else. Uh, <laughs> uh, um, that is one of the most painful things that ever happens to a person. You're washing your hair, you're having your thoughts, and then all of a sudden it happens. You start to feel the trickle, and then before you know it, you're blind. And there's a seething pain that happens that most people can relate to, and it just burns so much. And so what you do instantly is you close your eyes because it, it burns, and surely this is the end of the ability to see out of that eye. And you close your eye, and then you stand in the shower and start washing it frantically to try and get the burning to stop. And you start to pray to Jesus and then everyone else that you can think of just in case. You start to invite the Holy Spirit to come in this moment and change the pain that you're in. And then eventually, after about three seconds, it goes. Can you imagine if when that happened, the, the shampoo came in your eye? I just thought, well, that's it. Now I'm someone who doesn't see out of that eye. 
And I kind of get out of the shower and find a kind of patch, like a pirate patch, and put it on my eye and go downstairs after clumbly asleep getting dressed and say to Ben, this is me now. I am a person that can only see out of one eye. I had shampoo in my eye, and this is now me. I am wounded by this pain. I will never come back from this. This is my eye. I am a shampooed-eyed person, and I can see no more. And then everyone would look at me at church and say, what happened? And I'll say, I got shampoo in my eye. It was terrible. You'll never understand my feelings. I'm not sure I can ever get back. It, it hurt more than your pain would ever hurt. It's ridiculous. Most people would be like, what a stupid person you are. And you'd be right, because you don't get blinded by a piece of shampoo. And yet sometimes things happen to us, and we have that same complete overreaction in the moment. Remember, not long after we'd taken on church, someone told me they were leaving church, which is never an easy thing to hear. And when I said to her, well, you know, can you just tell me why? And the reason was because she walked past me in the street, and I didn't smile at her. Now, we've just established I'm blind, even without the shampoo. <laughs> so I'm really sorry. That's probably going to happen to everybody, uh, even my own children. They're quite tall, which helps because I can make up their shapes of, like, if someone's tall. I have almost made that mistake before Elevate of, like, no, don't touch this child just in case they're not yours, not mine. Don't do that. Um, just, um, it's difficult. And, and that night had been a particularly bad night. Noah, who was a baby at that point, had been up all night. I'd not slept. Uh, we had like some stressful stuff going on in, in church. And it was like a really bad day, I remember. And I just said, so because, of, because I didn't smile at you, you're going to make this huge decision. And eventually we talked and it kind of got solved. But so often we're like that, aren't we? We, we get offended and we decide, okay, I'm going to take that offense and rather take it to Jesus. I'm going to hold on to it. I'm going to be defined by that offense because I was hurt in that moment. And our point of view becomes the point of view. We don't really care much about the Bible or what we do. So we twist the Bible to find some justification because you can twist the Bible if you work hard enough. And we think that's why I am right in my offense. I deserve this. I deserve better treatment after what I've done for the church. And we get offended and we move and we do all this stuff because we had a moment of something happening. Or we're hurt and we decide, okay, because I've been hurt, I no longer will serve. I'm taking a step back because I don't want to be in that position again. I'm going to put a wall up. I'm going to defend myself. I'm not going to allow those things to happen again. Or we feel like we failed in some way. And when we failed, we just decide that disqualifies us forever. Because surely failure is permanent. Well, it's not. And often what happens is that moment of failure for us is massive. And most people have forgotten about it the moment you've left. But we stay rooted in it. We stay defined by it. We stay wounded by it. And we think, well, this is it now. This is who I am. And it's the same way that shampoo in the eye should not define your sight. Neither should offense or hurt or feeling of failure define how you see what happens is we have these filters that happen in our lives, and it's how we see things. So for me, I was the oldest in my family of children, you know, of my siblings, and it meant that I started to see things in a way I was very responsible. Stuff at home wasn't always the easiest, so I became the responsible older sister who took care of things and did a lot of stuff, and it informed how I saw things. And I had to realize that what that meant was I had this issue with being responsible for everything. And it, it filtered how I see God, how I see my, my role, how I see my responsibilities. I had to understand after many, many years that I have to work on this. This is affecting everything. 
And as I really started to pray and, and think about this message and think about how do we get a better perspective, I thought about two questions. If we can answer these things right, it changes our perspective. The first thing is this. And I'm not going to ask anyone to shout out or anything bizarre. I just want you to answer it honestly in your heart. When you think about God, what do you see? Who is God to you? Is he a God who's angry? Is he a God who's distant? Is he a God who's cold? Is he disappointed and unimpressed? Is he a God who needs you? Is he a God who's waiting for you to shape up? Is he a God who withholds? Or is he one who loves you? A God who's got you in the palm of his hands. A God who understands and likes you. Who do you think of and what do you think of when you see God? Second question is this. What does God think about when he looks at you? When he looks at you honestly, what do you think he sees? Do you think he loves me but he knows I need work? Does he think I'm disappointing? Does he think, well, I'm not as bad as last year, so that's okay? Does he think you've got a long way to go? Does he think, well, he accepts me, I've got a brilliant plan for me, and he's got a future for me? And when we start to get a grasp and start to understand, okay, these things need to inform my, my perspective, almost like glasses that we put on that can help us see things differently, we start to live different. But the issue is that we're a bit stupid sometimes. We take our glasses off of God perspective and put on our own normal sight, which is inadequate, and we start to see through things that we've lived through. So, you know, our oldest child, our family wasn't always highly functional with different stuff going on and, and all this stuff. And so I became this person who was super responsible, also wasn't naturally clever. Um, my, my sister was one of those annoying people who could roll out of bed having done no work and ace an exam. And I would literally start to get quite ill because I'd be so obsessive over revising. I would scrape a B. And so I felt like this sense of I'm responsible for everything and everybody in the world. And if I don't do it, then, then God needs me, which is a dangerous position to be in when you think God needs you. And also, I'm not quite good enough. And no matter how much I try, I can't quite meet the standard that I know God wants me to be. And when I started to understand probably five or six years ago, actually, they are ways that I'm thinking, perspectives that are not, not from God, started to undo these things. But here's the problem. The default is I go back to those things so quickly and I have to work out, okay, no, I need to put my God glasses back on. We've all got perspectives we see. Some of us have grown up in poverty. And so what happens is we see through a poverty mindset. We expect certain things of God. Some of us have grown up thinking we're not quite good enough. So we've grown up understanding, well, I don't quite fit the mark, so I have to prove myself. And if people don't see that I'm, that, that I'm doing enough, then I'm going to make, make them see. And when they don't see, that, well, they've rejected me as well, just like everyone else did. We, some of us have grown up understood, accepted, loved by our family, and so we see things in a different way. And when people don't accept us or understand us, we're completely offended because we've never experienced that before. Do you see all of us have had lives that have given us a point of view, a perspective? And if we're not careful, we live by the nature, our old nature, which starts to infiltrate, starts to change our vision, our perspective. Let's look in the Bible. If you've got your Bibles, turn to Numbers 13. So what's happened is the Israelites have left Egypt and all the awful stuff that they've gone through. If I could just open my Bible. They've left all the stuff that they've gone through. They've gone through terrible things. 
And they're on the edge of the promised land. And so Moses sends 12 spies. And he says, hey, look, we're close. We're really close now. I want you to go and look at what it looks like. Come back, bring me a report. Let me know what you see. He's asking, what do you see? He's asking for facts. And they come back different. And it says this, there's 12 of them. They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. They reported to them that the whole assembly had showed them the fruit of the land. They gave to Moses this account. We went to land in which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is the fruit. But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and large. We even saw descendants of the Anak there. The Amalekites live in the, in the Negev. The Hittites, Jebusites, Amorites live in the hill country. And the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. So they're saying, okay, it's good. It's really good. But there's issues. There's problems. It doesn't take a genius to see those problems. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, we should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. But the men who'd gone up with him said, we can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. They spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they'd explored. They said, the land we explored devours those living in it. And the people we saw there are a great size. We saw the Nephilim there, the descendants of Anak who came from Nephilim. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. We seemed like grasshoppers. They're assuming they're making up their own narrative here. Uh, they're assuming that, that, that we must look ridiculous then. We're so small compared to them. And they come back with a bad report and spread it around everyone. And sometimes what happens is we read these stories and we think, oh, how ridiculous are the Israelites? I mean, come on. You've gone through the Red Sea. You've had these incredible things happen to you. You've had all this provision from God for probably about two years by this point. They've had a fire that's led them through the day. They've had... Uh, through the night, they've had cloud over the day so they don't get burned. They've had food that falls from heaven. They've had shoes that don't wear out. That's a great miracle if you're a parent. They've had all these things, and yet still, stupid Israelites, they don't get it. Still, how ridiculous. If I was there, I would be a Moses and a Caleb because I would understand that God's going to provide. And yet what we don't understand and take into account sometimes is they are damaged people. They have lived through some stuff. Remember, we read these stories with, with, with foresight and hindsight because we have the Word of God. They didn't have the Word of God. They didn't have anything written down. They had people telling them for generations, 400 years, things that God had done. But can you imagine how that was warped bit by bit? And the Egyptians made them slaves for 400 years. That's generation after generation. The average age of a slave that would die is 32 years old because the conditions that they were under were horrendous. It was awful being a slave. They were beaten. They were working 18-hour days building pyramids and building all sorts of stuff for these people. They were oppressed as a people. Can you imagine how that affected their point of view? Then let's bring God into the picture because they knew about the Egyptian God because the Egyptians would talk about their God. Their God was called Ra, and he was the God of the sun. So when the sun came up in the morning and they're starting to work and they're being burnt alive, many of them, as they're working the heat of the day, their understanding of God is he's a nasty God. He's an evil God. He's a God who wants to burn us. He's a, he's a powerful God in the sky. And then Ra would go down and another God would come up, the moon, who they think is like a snake and was trying to kill them and devour them in the day, in the nighttime. So they had this crazy, this is what God is to them. And then they had this guy who came with a speech impediment who they sort of know but sort of didn't know. He came and said, I'm going to let you go free. 
and you'd think, oh, that's good. Except then came a plague of frogs. Close your ears, Sharon. Uh, all sorts of frogs came out of the river into their bedrooms. All sorts of stuff started. Can you imagine? Frogs aren't nice. If I was them, I'd be like, I don't really want anything to do with Moses. Then the river turns into blood. That's not a pleasant one. Then there's gnats and there's bugs and grossness and there's boils. I mean, I've had a, a you know, mosquito bite. That's bad enough. But boils all over you. This is not good. So they've got the God of the sun that burns them, the God in the sky that kills them at night, and then they've now got this God that sends plagues. And then eventually they're like, okay, we're going to go. They get released, and they're like, what is going on? And then they think they're free, and then there's a sea in front of them. And then God does this incredible miracle. They walk through the sea, and it's all great. And then God closes the sea and kills the people behind them. Sometimes our understanding of, of this story is quite PG because we've watched like Prince of Egypt and they're like singers. They walk through and they're like, yay. And Moses is this good guy. He's this hero. And there's just a couple of little frogs that go by. But that's not what it was like. When you think about it, this was a dark time to live in. And so they're finally through. Can you imagine the trauma that they've gone through? And when we know what trauma's like, right? We've lived through a plague. We've lived through some stuff in the last few years. Some of us have come out kind of not quite the same that we were a few years ago. We've gone through some stuff, and it has affected many of us, our point of view. I preached a while ago about how during it, I started to lose my, my ability to almost hope a little bit because hope kept getting disappointed, and it's easier to not hope anymore than live through disappointment. So effect, and God had to re remind me of living with a sense of faith, not, not fate. Uh, and it has affected us. And for the Israelites, they had lived through this stuff. And so when they saw what the promised land looked like, they get like, yeah, it's good, but God has not really always looked after us before. And so they start to see the negativity. But, Mo but Joshua and Caleb saw differently. They had learned something new about God. They'd listened. They leaned into the stories. They'd started to hear things differently. They started to, I think, understand with their spirits and their eyes and their minds and their past couldn't quite understand. When they saw the promised land, they started to remember, oh, you know, when we were scared, there was, there was fire leading us. And God, in the night, he looked after us. And when there was daytime, it was hot. You know, I mean, that reminded us of when we were hot and we were slaves. But God gave us covering. He protected us. And they started to trust and started to walk with this new sense of, oh, God is for us. Maybe God will protect us. They started to live with hope. And I reckon they walked differently. And they were like, no, we can do this. Come on, God has got us this far. And if he's got us this far, he can get us to the next part again. And they started to speak a different way. They chose faith over faith. And, and I wonder sometimes if we need to make a decision that even if we don't feel it, we start saying it. We start declaring it and saying, okay, God, I, I, don't, I don't know if I understand what you're taking me through right now, but God, I know that you are good and that you do provide. This morning, as I was preparing it and kind of getting ready, Asher, who's my 18-year-old, walked into my bedroom in a way that only an 18-year-old can walk in, which is loud, and was like, uh, can I have this for breakfast? And uh, what was for breakfast was two pieces of cheesecake that we had left over. And, uh, you know, Sunday morning, they know that anything goes because I'm busy. And so I'm like, fine. Now, here's the thing. If you came to my house this morning, you wouldn't look at the cheesecake and think, I'll just have that. It's mine. Um, Suz would. Uh, Suz is different. Uh, you wouldn't if there was celery on it. Um, if, most of you would walk into my house and not just help yourselves to the contents of the cupboard. 
I certainly wouldn't think that cheesecake looks good for breakfast. I'll take it. It's rare that he'd even check it, but normally he just takes food. Why? Because Asher, when he's in my house, has this point of view that, that everything in there is for him. Because he knows, well, mum likes me. She's missed me for a few months. I'm going to see how long I can milk this for. I'm just going to eat everything. I know that I can get away with it because she doesn't want me to leave again. And so it, it just eats everything. Uh, and because he's my child, he doesn't kind of question, maybe I'm going to be in a lot of trouble for this. He just assumes the yes and then asks afterwards when I find the wrappers in his bedroom. Now, if Danielle came to my house, she wouldn't walk in and just be like, I'll have that cheesecake for my breakfast and I'll have that Oreo that you've got saved when you get home from preaching because I'll just assume. But there's a difference. He assumes the yes. And when we walk into our future, when we walk into things, when we walk into our new jobs or our parenting even, do we assume that God is out to get us? Do we assume that we have to ask permission? Or do we assume, hang on, God is for me. God has a plan for me. And so actually... I can walk in here with a bit of confidence. I can walk in here with a bit of spring in my step. I know that he's for me. And even when we face difficulty, even when it's hard, even when we don't make sense in our natural brain, even when things happen that feel unimaginably hard and our hearts feel broken, we can know somehow in this, God is working it together. He does good for me. And God doesn't make things happen that are awful. But even in that season, he is so faithful. It's how Paul can say this when he's in the midst of a prison cell. He says in Philippians 1.12, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what's happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. People are writing to him saying, oh my goodness, Paul, you're in prison again. All this stuff's happened. It's been so hard. You're so hard done to. It's so awful. It's so rough, blah, blah, blah. And Paul's like, whoa, I need you to know I'm okay. This is advancing the gospel. This is making a way for, for God to move. Yeah, it's, it's hard and momentarily it's difficult. But for the sake of eternity, this is good and I'm okay. It's how he could say, I, I'm content in all circumstances. How? Because he'd had a life, right? His point of view would be affected. Can you imagine the guilt he must have felt? I mean, he killed people, been instrumental in killing people beforehand who were Christians, and now he's like the big Christian. He must have felt all this stuff. He must have had all this stuff when it clouded. He must have had this sense of, I don't know if I belong here. Do I fit in? Am I good enough? And yet at some point in his journey, I think probably early on, he just decided, okay, no, those things I'm laying down. That point of view is my old nature. I'm going to put on some God point of view. And I'm going to start to believe what God's speaking to me about how he feels about me, how he sees me. And I want to read a list of, for those of you who struggle a little bit with understanding what God sees when he looks at you, I'm going to read a list of what he sees. And then rather than inviting the band up, we're going to play a video of a worship song, many of you will know it already, but I wanted to also give the band a chance to not be leading us for a bit, but just receive for a little bit. Uh, and I just want the words to kind of just sit with us for a little bit. Because if we could understand what it means to be loved by God, that, that he's on our side, we can walk into lands that are promised to us. And even with the giants there, even with the walls there, even with the enemies there, we can walk in and think, oh gosh, this is mine for the taking. Can you imagine if we walked into this year with a greater perspective? That even things that are hard, we're not seen as God's done this to me, but God's going to use this for me in some way. Can you imagine? So this is what God sees when he looks at you. He looks at you and sees Jesus. 
He sees someone that he loves with his entire heart and being. Someone worth giving his most precious sacrifice for. You are the apple of his eye. He delights in you and deems you worthy of singing over. God likes you. He wants you. He enjoys you, quirks and all. He smiles over you. He sees more in you than you have any idea about. If you could only see how he sees you. When you put yourself down in doubt, he shakes his head and says, no, there's more. When you carry that burden, he wants to take it from you. For his yoke is easy and his burden is light. You struggle and strive because it was never meant for you to carry. His heart burns with passion for you. Not just the world, but for you as an individual. He made you. He designed you. And he's glad that he did. You are not a mistake. You're his masterpiece, designed and woven together. He doesn't see mistakes. He's not holding them over you. He's not taunting you. He's taken them as far as the east is from the west. They are gone from you and from him. So why keep reminding him? Because where sin abounds, grace is greater. He knows that you're not perfect, but you try and it makes his heart glad. You are justified. You're set apart, not for isolation, but for greatness because you're special. There is eternity in your heart and your mind. You are called. You are worthy because he says you're worthy and he is the king of kings. You are his. You are the head and not the tail. Don't let anyone tell you anything less. You speak words over you and have doubts, but they are not from him. That insecurity that you carry, those thoughts you have, they are not his thoughts. His thoughts are higher than your thoughts. His thoughts are purer and better than your thoughts. If you saw him, how he sees you. If you saw how redeemed you are, how he bought you at the highest price and thinks you are worth it. He doesn't have buyer's regret. He is proud that he bought you. He knows you and he loves you. He sees you and he calls you. He says there's more. He looks at you and says, you are good. You're better than all the other things he made. There's greatness on you and there's greatness in you. He's proud of you. He delights in you. And he wants you to understand this morning that there's a, there's a move happening where if he could just see how he sees you. He is Jireh. He is the provider. He is enough. All of heaven looks upon you and says that he that God of, of heaven, the King of kings and Lord of lords, made you and you are greater than all the animals, all the trees, all the plants, all of creation, even the stars itself. He looks at you and says, this is the thing that's good. You are good. Let's worship for a few minutes. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Influence Church. For any more information, visit our website, influencechurch.co.uk. Influence Church, empowering you to make a difference in your world for the kingdom of God.